Welcome to Dispatch in Depth, where we give you the stories behind the science of emergency dispatch. This is an official podcast of the International Academies of Emergency Dispatch, the world's leading authority in dispatch science. I'm your host, Becca Barris, writer and copy editor for the Journal of Emergency Dispatch. In each episode, we'll be bringing you stories of the fascinating people who work in this area. We'll give you their backstory, including how they got there, what they're working on, and what drew them to the field. These are people who represent the cutting edge in emergency dispatch, and I hope you'll join us to hear more about them. Welcome to Dispatch in Depth. In this episode, we're going back to our research roots and talking with Edel Burton about the terminology and measurements around pre-hospital care. Edel is a clinical hospital pharmacist and PhD scholar in the School of Public Health at University College Cork in Ireland. Her PhD research is focused on the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on pre-hospital care for suspected stroke and transient ischemic attack, TIA. Idel is passionate about evidence-based practice, but also about practice-informed research, thus continues to involve cross-sector stakeholders throughout her research. Welcome, Idel. Thank you very much, Becca. So, Idel, you're in kind of a niche position. Could you please give a quick rundown of your career path? How did you get where you are? Of course, yeah. Unique is one word I use for it. So I always like to say that my career path found me rather than me finding it. So I trained as a clinical pharmacist. I worked both in the community and the hospital setting. Uh, and then kind of from an early stage of my career, I knew I wanted a research element. Didn't know how that would look at the time, but it started off with kind of research projects here and there. Then I got involved in a clinical trial and I always knew a PhD was on the horizon. I just didn't know exactly what in yet. So whilst I was, I suppose, abroad in Switzerland for that clinical trial, I was introduced to my now PhD supervisor. So again, kind of came upon the right avenue for me. And that topic was originally meant to be just stroke, but I was kind of given free reign to change it as I wished. So I spent a good year, I'd say, trying to go in and out of rabbit holes and fell down a few of them and came back out again and then found pre-hospital care from that. But I suppose from being a hospital pharmacist, acute care and things like stroke and the medication surrounding stroke and the care surrounding stroke always really interested me. So I suppose from pharmacist to pre-hospital is my journey in a in a sentence. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense, right? It's not like you were walking down the street and... I don't know, a piano fell on your head and you changed your mind, right? Like it it makes sense, but no. it is also a very, yeah, it's a very niche avenue. Yeah, exactly. So your emphasis, your interest is on suspected stroke and TIAs. How mm. did that lead to you being interested in the topic of the terminology and measurements surrounding pre-hospital response? Yeah, so when I went about conducting my first element of my PhD. So that's a systematic review looking at all the literature that's out there and trying to answer your question. So my question being the COVID impact on suspected stroke and TIA in the pre-hospital phase of care. And the two things I was looking at was the ambulance time, so the measurement piece, and then the call volume for those specific conditions. And what I found is I found 52 papers on that particular topic from all over the world. Not Ireland, unfortunately, but that's where my research comes in. <laughs> and the first major challenge I had was actually finding 
definitions that I could use to describe main kind of periods of time within the pre-hospital phase of care. And secondly, then was even when I had those definitions that we used in a previous paper a few years ago, different countries had totally different terms, different definitions. They would call one thing what another country would call something else. It just got very confusing and it was really hard to synthesize it all into one kind of coherent story. So that's when I kind of went, oh, we have a problem here, because I suppose when you said to me there about that, you know, my journey was quite niche and went from a pharmacist to being interested in this. Sometimes I think that perspective I had that I kind of came in as an outsider, if you will, you know, I'm not a paramedic or a dispatcher. I could kind of go, huh, I don't really get what you're talking about here. You know, maybe we need to kind of look into this. So that's how I became interested in it. And then when I actually brought it to pre-hospital care professionals, you know, all over the world, in, in the US, in Ireland and in other countries in Europe, which I'll go into a little bit more detail in a minute, they kind of said, oh, yeah, you know, you, you found something here that we maybe should look into. So I suppose that's kind of how this particular interest started. And originally I saw it as, I suppose, a stepping stone to the next part of my PhD research. But actually from reviewers and talking to other researchers and people involved in my research, they see it as one of the cornerstones of my research. It's nearly become the the USP, you know, the, the unique selling point now of the research. So it's something I really got excited about as it progressed. Right. So it's like a Rosetta Stone almost, right, where you have all of these different languages. But I feel like people are like, well, it's just it's just numbers. The time from call answered to dispatch is the same time, but it's not, as you found out. And that is that's another thing I really wanted to touch on is it's helpful to be an outsider in research sometimes because you have people who are enmeshed in the research. Right. And they Mm -hmm. they see it kind of one way. They see it in a very specific way. But mm-hmm. someone from the outside comes in and says, hey, these two things don't match up. And they are forced to take a step back and say, oh, yeah, these these two things don't match up. Exactly. So that's really cool that you were setting out to do something that helps your interest and your research. But it's also going to help dispatch in general and pre-hospital medicine in general. I hope so. Absolutely. That's the aim. So your study analyzed data from nine different countries. How did you go about contacting people from nine different countries for this information? Yeah, so I was really lucky, I suppose. I have a great team of dispatchers, paramedics, pre-hospital doctors, you know, I could go on, involved in the research from the very beginning. Firstly, in the Irish ambulance service, and then that kind of grew uh, as time went on. So I went to them first and their clinical information manager. I hope that term is kind of transferable to different countries. So he basically be very much involved with the electronic patient care record and that kind of side the, of things. The numbers the guy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So he said to me, right, you know, we'll work together. We'll write up some kind of a questionnaire where we literally got the names the Irish system would call the different things and just kept going, what would you call this in your system? What is this definition in your CAD system? So that was kind of the first step. Then I got on to, I think I can name names here, a man called Jerry Overton. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We know Jerry. (laughs) We know Jerry. And I kind of said to Jerry, 
I was introduced to him by the clinical director of the ambulance service and I kind of said, you know, hey, Jerry, is there any way you could let me know how I could, you know, contact people to do with this research? And so he put me then in contact with somebody else who was a dispatcher and could put me in contact with an organisation of pre-hospital care professionals. And the other kind of thing I needed was that all the organisations would use the AMPDS system, so the same triage system, so that I could easily compare, you know, there'd be something similar that the organisations would have. So through that then, I sent it out through that list. I also then sent it to collaborators that the Irish Ambulance Service would have collaborated with in the past, again, who use the AMPDS system. And... The way we did it was two members actually piloted the questionnaire for me first. So one in the US uh, and one in Canada, just to see, you know, was there anything a bit sticky that they didn't understand or did anything not translate very well? So we went through about a round or two of that. And then I sent it to the other countries. And as a result, the other countries kind of became an international consortium of pre-hospital care researchers who are now involved in my next study of my PhD. <laughs> so it was like a domino effect. So yeah. we now call ourselves the FOCUS mm-hmm. consortium, so pre-hospital care of stroke. I suppose from the conversations with those researchers, and I think I was really clear from the beginning, and this seems to have had an impact, you know, okay, I'm not a pre-hospital care practitioner, but I have a huge interest in the area and I really want you to be involved in the research. I just don't want to take your data and run away and, you know, do my numbers and come back with it. So that seemed to have worked really well in that we're a team researching together. So all of the different people filled in the questionnaire for this terminology quite quickly and really in a kind of a very um, collegial way and kind of came back to me and asked me questions. And, you know, so it was very much a two way street. That is a really great point because the best research is that conversation, right? It's not like you said, some researcher coming and sucking your blood and then going and, you know, (laughs) analyzing it and then bringing it back, right? Exactly. It's that two-way street. And it sounds like you listened to people when they gave you feedback, like especially in the U.S. and Canada. Because you're Mm -hmm. not a practitioner, you have to have that openness. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think having the input from hospital care practitioners from the very beginning of my research so that I learned how to speak the language a little bit and, you know, learned how to read the different definitions and terms and look at the system. I work with the ambulance service now in Ireland a bit, you know, I'd be up in their offices a bit so I'd actually see the data itself and the terms. So that really helped too, that I had some idea Do you know what I was talking about before I went to these people? Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. That's really good that you were able to get them involved from the start so that you didn't have to change a bunch of things in the end and they pointed you towards things that would be significant. 100%. Yeah, they were crucial. So let's talk about some of the results of this study. What are some Mm -hmm. significant impacts of the differing ambulance terminology and measurements? So I suppose firstly, the part that took me a while to get my head around and this kind of became more apparent as I dug into the research a little bit more and, and looked at the findings. So sometimes there is the same names, the same term for something, but it's actually describing a slightly different time period. And then sometimes there is the same time period, but it's like a different name. So it's actually mind boggling. It took me quite a long time to, you know, get those results and put them into a format that I could comprehend. So I think that's the first thing, Mm -hmm. you know, it's nearly kind of like 
I don't know, some kind of ghost or kind of masquerading kind of being kind of going, oh, I'm response time, but actually in another country, I'm something else. Right, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, so that was the first thing that I found, you know, is the challenge, I suppose, and is the significant impact in this area. Leading on from that is you don't know if you're comparing like with like. You could Mm -hmm. be comparing apples with oranges. And, you know, if you are doing a study where terminology isn't the key focus, but you needed to get to the key focus, which is the ambulance time, but then you're comparing two different times because you're using the same term or vice versa, it, it can get quite challenging. And I suppose it can make conducting international research quite challenging, be it the research I was doing, you know, looking at already produced and published literature, but then also trying to do, you know, I know organisations do internationally kind of benchmarking pieces and with something like this, when there's so much heterogeneity, that's a real challenge as a researcher. I think maybe for me, because I wasn't in the field, but probably still, if you are in the field, Mm -hmm. you know that language is key, Yeah, I think. Absolutely. So you use the word heterogeneity. That's just the opposite of homogeneity, where everything's the same, right? Heterogeneity is things are different. Exactly. I think that's my kind of pharmacist chemistry person going out to me. Exactly. So they're just different. And it is. It's just like speaking another language. Like you said, if you wanted to compare response times in California versus Ireland versus Holland, you're exactly right. You wouldn't be comparing the same thing, which, you know, is kind of important for research. (laughs) Very important. Very, very important. Edel, this is a podcast for emergency dispatchers. You've talked about how you got practitioners involved in the research and the surveys that were any emergency dispatchers involved? Yeah, so one of the key people who was involved in this is, again, terminology here isn't going to be totally transferable, but in the, the control centre, we'll say that's in, in Ireland. So that's based in Dublin. So that particular man will be involved with dispatchers and will be involved in that kind of side of things. So he's kind of the expert on terminology really in the Irish Ambulance Service. Mm-hmm. So he was involved and I discussed this with dispatchers as well within the service, both in Ireland and internationally uh, as part of that kind of multidisciplinary team that I was talking about there, that international consortium. So there have been dispatchers and other members of the pre-hospital team involved from the very beginning, even coming up with this research question. I have to give the credit for this terminology idea solely to one of the members of the ambulance service here in Ireland. He really helped me with it. So absolutely the whole time, anytime I have a result, even when I'm presenting this and writing it up as a paper, something as I suppose that might be straightforward as how do I go about that? How do I make all this jumble of words translate? Mm -hmm. So myself and that's an information manager and one of the dispatchers just recently put all the terms onto a whiteboard in the ambulance service. It was a very messy jumble of words, but we had a system that would make the door madness. And then we translated all that into like a traffic light system mm. of, you know, red is, it doesn't match at all. Amber is near match and then green is, it totally matches. So even, you know, very practical things like that, I thought it was really important to actually involve the key stakeholders in it. And then even from a, a piece of, you know, getting the results out there, yes, I am targeting journals that are dispatch related. So this piece will hopefully go into a journal mainly for the dispatch audience. But then also 
on a broader scale that we're also producing these kind of policy briefs or kind of one page, two page summaries that will go to dispatchers, pre-hospital care practitioners, you know, emergency medicine professionals in the area that are kind of, you know, we recognize you're busy people. Here's a kind of a two page snapshot and, you know, here's a link to the paper if you do want to read more. So I think the whole framing of the research, like the nitty gritty kind of details, yes, but even that whole, you know, how do we get to the audience? How is best to communicate to these people? Things like me speaking to you right now, do you know that, that I think that input is really important in terms of what I know from my practice in pharmacy mightn't always translate. So I think it's really important to include the people that you're researching at the end of the day throughout your research. Right. That's accessibility. Why are you doing this research if the people you're doing it for can't understand it? Right. Like it's one thing to, you know, say I have this pretty great groundbreaking benchmarking research. But, you know, when you disseminate it to people, they're like, I I can't read this. I can't understand this. So that's really <laughs> cool that you had people involved from the very beginning. And I wanted to go back to something I said in the intro, something you said in your bio was that you really strongly believe in evidence-based practice, which we talk about a lot on this podcast, but also practice-informed research. So it's not mm. just in theory, the time from answering the call to dispatch should be blah, 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 whatever. You're also mm. talking to people and saying, okay, so the theory is this, but is this actually how it's happening, which is extremely valuable in research. So were you surprised by any of the findings? In short, yes. And the reason being, so I talked about that kind of traffic light system there a while ago. So I think there was only out of the 10 services we looked at, so it was 10 services, nine countries across three continents. Firstly, only one of them really aligned with the Irish terms right and that was northern ireland so i suppose that makes sense <laughs> so at least that, was not, that doesn't count that's the same island Edel. <laughs> yeah but two different ambulance services and you know there's a few more differences so i'm counting that as you know that's still a green light so i think that that was the first thing mm -hmm. then i think the second thing was just again the realization of just talking to to dispatchers that sometimes different terms can be used for different reasons. So different terms used in different reports or like in the Irish system, the terms that they use to go back to the kind of regulator are different to the ones they use in everyday practice with their colleagues. That really surprised me. Now, look, I suppose if someone did a study on the terminology used in pharmacy, maybe, you know, we would be exactly the same. But it's just, you know, that kind of outsider looking in approach again. Then in more detail, the two time points or definitions that actually varied the most. So they were in the red zone for quite a lot of countries. One was seven out of the 10 services and one was six out of the 10. So quite a lot was so the time that the wheels would move to the patient. Oh. So we call that the mobile time. And that's how we actually described it to the, the different services, you know, the time the wheels move to the patient just so that it could translate internationally and also the time that the ambulance actually got on scene. Oh, interesting. And you would think on scene. Would right. Be quite, <laughs> yeah, that's, what, that's my first guess. Exactly. Yeah. But some services just measure the time they got to the patient. Mm. And even getting your head around, it took me a while to kind of say, OK, there's a difference between that scene and a patient, right. okay, that difference could be seconds or minutes. Right, but there is but a difference. There is, and I suppose in this type of 
research, especially when I'm dealing with stroke and TIA in my research, seconds, minutes mean a lot in yes. an emergency response. Do you know? And uh, when I was talking about this to one of the dispatchers, he said to me that if you think about a 12 or 13 storey apartment block that doesn't have a lift and you have paramedics kind of say, right, we got to the scene at this time, but it could take them 10, 15 minutes to get to the patient. Mm, yeah. Do you know? So at patient and at scene time aren't the same thing. So I think that surprised me, I suppose, firstly, the difference. And secondly, just how small a difference it seems. But actually, when you're looking at something like this, you need to be really accurate and you need to be really specific. Right, exactly. Because like you said, it could be a 10, 15 minute difference, which is, you know, pretty significant for most emergency calls, but extremely significant for, like you said, a stroke call when you need to get the TPA administered. Yes, exactly. Yeah, within that window. What are some implications of this research on the day-to-day practices of emergency dispatchers? Is there any? So firstly, I think it's a a basic one of just to be more aware of the possible differences in language, just, you know, to not cast language aside as kind of this semantic kind of really theoretical thing, you know, that it is important that differences do exist. And that doesn't mean we can't do benchmarking or international research, but it just means it can be a little bit more challenging and take a little bit more behind the scenes work on a kind of a daily basis. I suppose if they are using a term or a definition to a colleague, maybe that isn't a dispatcher, you know, if they're talking to another healthcare professional or just someone on the street or, you know, just a normal everyday person that they do maybe take the time to just explain what the term they're saying means. You know, and if they are conducting research, like I was reviewing a paper recently and the researchers said an ambulance time and my first comment was, please define this time. (laughs) But I suppose that, you know, it should follow through from from daily practice to, you know, a dispatcher who's doing research Mm -hmm. or, you know, that really just greater awareness. It doesn't have to be, you know, a major implication in the life of a dispatcher, but just to know that one word to them doesn't always mean the same thing to someone else. Right. I think that's the key. Exactly. Yeah. You can get so entrenched in your everyday that if you're training someone who's new, you know, who's never been in dispatch or, you know, a paramedic coming in for, you know, filling in a dispatch seat while they're on some sort of leave, it can just be helpful to be like, oh, I said this, which might mean something different to you in the field, or it doesn't mean anything to you at all if you're coming in off the street and, you know, becoming a dispatcher. Things to keep in mind, things to take into consideration when interacting with people. So there's not that frustration of like, we are speaking different languages. Exactly. And I think something kind of from from the research that made me stop and think was it took quite a long time for me to even get a list of the definitions used in different countries written down in an actual report or document. Do you know, a lot of them are kind of just used in you know, the daily vernacular between people in this area, but actually to find something that I could actually reference, you know, in my PhD or in a paper was quite a challenge. Do you know, it took a lot of digging to kind of get something like that. So as a practical step, that might be something that services could look into. Yeah, exactly. 
I, I helped with some onboarding documents for people getting hired with IED. And I was like, you know, it'd be really helpful is a page of acronyms <laughs> because there are so many of them and not just organization acronyms. But I, I worked here for a couple of months and I was like, someone tell me what a PSAP is because you keep saying it and I don't know what it means. <laughs> and I, I didn't know that it was an acronym and it stands for a public safety answering point, something like that. Mm-hmm. It's another level that you can connect with people on. Exactly. So what's next now that you have your cornerstone laid? <laughs> That's a lovely way to phrase it. So I suppose from this, this is the kind of baseline foundations for the next study. So I mentioned, you know, that there's nine countries in this study. So really this was a piece in its own right to look at the terminology, but what it's also going to do is inform my next international comparative study. That's looking at two things, the ambulance times and the call volume, comparing Ireland with six other different countries. Mm -hmm. So within that group that we compared for the terminology study. So really it was trying to get like with like lined up so that we could compare that in this piece. So this piece is going to be at the moment, I'm going through the kind of ethics approval process in the different countries, which is a journey in itself. Again, I'm really lucky that I have the support of the different pre-hospital care professionals in the different countries. So they're all reviewing the ethics application after I write it so that it can then be sent to the ethics committee with their expert eye looking over it. And, you know, they understand the culture and and everything else Mm -hmm. in their own particular countries. That will probably be my final kind of piece of the PhD jigsaw puzzle that will kind of be going on from March of this year to March of 2024. So that will be my last piece. There's one other kind of PhD piece of research going on as well, but that's not in the international kind of sphere linked to this. So this piece is the the grand finale, I suppose, if you want to call it that, PhD research. I mean, a grand finale sounds great. It sounds like there should be fireworks and some streamers oh, yeah. for you. Oh, yeah, yeah. I hope you celebrate big time when you're finally done. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and I'm sure the agencies, the centers that help you with your research are going to be celebrating too because... Like we said, this is a two-way street. They are helping you, but they're also getting something out of it. And that something is data analysis that they've never been able to have before. That's incredible. Thank you. Well, I don't I don't think of it like that, obviously, from a day-to-day basis. But, you know, even a, a simple thing, and I, I don't mean to diverge here, but the simple thing of saying to all of these professionals, you know, will you be a co-author on my work? You know, can we actually put this together as a group instead of, as I said, just going off and, you know, I'm first author and, you know, I have your data now. Thanks very much. And that really helped, I think, in the whole conversation. It's not as if people want publications, that's not it, but it's this shared piece of work that, you know, we've all contributed to and we've all developed and designed. So, you know, if that's a major output of my PhD work in itself is maybe not one that you can see, but it's, you know, to me, that's a really important cornerstone element as well. That is, that's, that's incredible, right? Because I think when people think of researchers, they think of these nerds locked up in research labs or whatever, right? Not talking to people, but a huge part of research is talking to people and cooperating with them. And the pool of research about emergency dispatch is small, but it's getting bigger. And this your your research, these two pieces are going to be so instrumental in helping other people continue that work. And I think that's exciting. I think that's something to be really stoked about. 
Thank you. Yeah. Uh, no, but I, I've been really, you know, it's been a really, really interesting, exciting journey. And it's probably been the best part of my PhD so far, to be honest. Definitely the people, mm. you know, getting to know this really fantastic group of people. And on a really basic level, like I think, you know, using the term emergency response and rapid response is very accurate because whenever I email any of these people, I get a response in about 10 minutes, <laughs> <laughs> you know, which, which, is, which is unlike, you know, right, other research. people that I may be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and I think you're right. People have this view of us locked in our ivory towers. And I think it was really important for me and the ambulance service told me themselves straight up that they would only work with me if I was still practicing clinically. Mm. And, you know, yes, it's in a different field, but it's still acute medicine. You know, I'm hospital based. There is still that element of emergency response. And I would be dealing with stroke patients and, you know, their medication on a daily basis. So I think that that's why I think practice informed research is as important as research informed practice, you know, so that we break down that ivory tower and come down from it every now and then, you know, just yeah. fix it everybody else. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Because there's this barrier, I think, of people who are curious about research, especially emergency dispatch research, but they're like, oh, like I don't have enough school for that. I don't have enough, you know, I'm not smart enough for that, but you are, and you're on the front lines. You're using the protocols every day. You're answering calls every day. You know what the issues are and people at the IED, people like Edel, we need, we need your feedback. So please get in touch yeah. with us and be like, hey, this weird thing's happening here. We would love to hear from you. Definitely. Okay, we're going to wrap up here. Mm -hmm. What is okay. one thing you would like listeners to take away from today's episode? Simply put, language is important. It's not just this semantic contrived thing that academics like to babble on about. And I suppose even in that piece, I identify as like a practitioner as much as I identify as an academic. So I think from that piece, language is so important in my daily practice, you know, speaking to patients about these complicated things. And I think for for dispatchers and people who will be listening to this podcast, language is important in this field as well. And if that's a list of definitions that you can just pull up if you're training new staff or if you are working with somebody from a different region or a different country, that you do have a list that you can just send them or that when you're talking about them yourself, as we said, that you just explain Oh, hold on there a sec. What's that called in your country? Or do you know what I'm talking about in this particular area? Because it is detailed and specific and, you know, maybe not everyday dinner table conversation. But at the same time, it is really important for research, for benchmarking, you know, and for other I suppose, performance based activities in practice that we are comparing like with like. So language is key. And not only because I'm dealing with different countries, the language it's actually written in, but also the language, you know, that's used around emergency dispatch and response. So I think that's the key take home message that I want people to get out of this. I fully agree. That is kind of your message distilled into, you know, a couple of sentences. Language is key. Communication is important. Well, Idel, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. And we'll have you back to talk about your next study sometime in 2024. So everyone mark your calendars <laughs> next March. <laughs> we'll start counting down, right? <laughs> absolutely. Fireworks and everything. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, fireworks. <laughs> we will have uh, relevant links in the show notes. Edel, you're publishing your paper. Are you publishing this research with AEDR? 
ish. Yes. Yeah, okay. So, so when yeah. that is published, we'll have that link in the show notes. If you have any questions for us, if you're like, I didn't understand this part, or I would love for you guys to talk about this, go ahead and email us at dispatchindepth at emergencydispatch.org. And talk to you later, Edel. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Thanks for listening to Dispatch In Depth. Remember, it really helps if you rate and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Dispatch In Depth is hosted by me, Becca Barris. I'm also the technical director and producer, and Matthew Maiko is the executive producer. 